right? There, there's, there's this whole self-improvement kind of concept of like, which implies that there's something broken that needs to be fixed. We really see it kind of the opposite. It's actually like, you're already whole, you're already complete. You're already absolutely divinely perfect, but there's many aspects of you that have forgotten that or are in resistance to that and have decided somewhere along the way that you are not worthy of receiving the magic of who you truly are. to another episode. I am pleased to have with me B and Azria, a husband and wife duo and the co-founding stewards of Becoming, that's Becoming with a Q, which is a transformational platform that you will be hearing more about. And I was uh, pretty struck by your description that sort of the two of you as a transformational couple. And so one of the things that caught my attention was you talked about opposites attracting. And, um, and it just had me wonder about your journey in terms of being opposites and especially around the friction that can happen with opposites. There's a lot of energy, there's a lot of duality, there's a lot of polarity, and then sometimes there's friction. And so we're going to talk about friction and repair and all of that. And, um, yeah, I'd love to maybe start there and hear a little bit about how you feel, like you as opposites did attract what, what attracted you to each other? Thank you for having us. Honored to be here. Mm. Um, let's see what attracted us. Well, I personally had never been with a man as sort of archetypally alpha male as Benjamin. Uh, so he was on, he's, he's on the far side of that spectrum. And, uh, and so that there was, uh, certainly an arc of polarity that was created that was very intense, uh, created an incredible sexual chemistry. And, um, yeah, it was pretty mind blowing. And also, you know, despite it being so exhilarating and exciting, there was also from the beginning, like a real fear around my, I don't know if capacity is the right word, but what I, what attracted to me to him was also the thing that scared me about him, if that makes sense. So it was like, the depth that he brought and both his light and his shadow was so intense and all encompassing. And and there was certainly a fear that came up in terms of like, will I be able to meet him in the fullness of who he is? Um, and, and I think vice versa too, a question like, will he meet me in the fullness of who I am? Because what's funny is that at face value, you know, I'm much more feminine kind of in my essence and he's masculine, but in some ways, in our dynamic, we're actually completely reversed. So we can get a little bit more into that later, but there's certain characteristics or ways of being that we have that, that, that we're from the beginning, very reversed. For example, in he, he came into this relationship very clear that he was ready to commit for life, which of course is like the opposite of what most men are generally wanting. Right. And I was in this place of like, but I want freedom and I want to try things and explore options. And so I was more in that, like, traditional male role. What's funny. So that's been a lot of the, yeah, that's where I would say the biggest 
we call it soul curriculum, <laughs> but where the biggest soul curriculum has been present for us in terms of the growth that we've unleashed within each other um, has been in those p- particular areas. Yeah. And I would just say for me, um, I guess I wouldn't address that from a, like a kind of sexuality perspective, uh, but more from an intellectual perspective. Um, it was just beautiful to see somebody so passionate um, about what they wanted to build in the world and create. And when I met Asri, it was just amazing to see this, this human that really from an external perspective, one might think didn't have much to show in the tangible 3d world, but was like ready to conquer the world. And, and the sure, the, the way in which he showed up was the confidence in which he showed up in that way was, was just so enticing to me. Um, and the polarity comes from, I think, um, how different we are. Um, we have a shared mission, but we come at it so differently. And I think that was super sexy because we're, in many ways, we were the missing puzzle piece for each other to actually um, live our dharma. I really like that word enticing. That was, that was a great word. Um, yeah, so I have so, so many questions, but I think um, I would love to hear just a little bit about the the growth that you two went through as a couple, um, especially because this is I've heard this a few times of couples that come together where one person's ready and the other person's not. And but they stick it out. They stay they stick it out. They stay connected through the tension of what is this going to be? How are we going to relate? Are we going to be exclusive? Am I ready for commitment? you know, how did you two navigate that part of your dynamic? Cause I'm imagining it came up pretty quickly or did it? It did very quickly, very quickly. I mean, our, we were like magnets, like pulled to each other. It was insane. The, it, we literally couldn't not be together pretty much right away. And, um, I more or less moved in like a week after I met him. <laughs> uh, and, and so pretty quickly, I think it was in that same week, he, he went, he invited me to come to Mexico with him. He had, he had already registered to attend the summit conference in Tulum. And, uh, he was like, do you want to, do you want to come along? And, and so I said, yes. And then b- b- between that conversation and us actually getting on the plane, there was a few more conversations where we were talking about kind of relationship models. And I shared that I was really curious about non-traditional relationship models that I never, I'm not generally a jealous person. I feel a lot of my work, my, 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 my like soul purpose is about allowing love to just be more present in our day-to-day reality. And so, yeah, I was sharing with him some of my questions and that brought up a lot of triggers and red flags for him, as you can imagine. So it was the night actually before we were supposed to fly out, we had like a a. 7am flight and he, he called me and he was like, listen, I'm, I don't know. This might, we just, this just might not be our time. Like you may need to go and get this out of your system. And and I get it. Like I had to, uh, and I had just come out of a almost 10 year monogamous relationship 10 months prior to that. And he was the first man that I connected with really. So I had this vision in my head that I was going to go off and taste the rainbow as I like to call it. Um, and then all of a sudden there's this like tree of a man that's just like, you're it. <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't know what to do with that. Um, so the conversation, that conversation was almost the end of all of it. And I was like, listen, I'm going to hang up the phone and cry 
and I'll call you back when I'm complete because <laughs> it's going to be like a big, ugly, loud cry. <laughs> Need a moment. And so I did. And, uh, and I tuned in and I was like, okay, I always, I guess there's a deep trust for me in my, having been on a spiritual path now for, for, for many years and really cultivated a deep trust within the universe and life, life's intelligence. Um, shortly before he called me, I had heard from a friend that there was an ayahuasca ceremony happening that night with a shaman that I knew. And, uh, I just, I asked for guidance and what came through was see if Benjamin will go and participate in the ceremony and, and, and take this question of like, does he want to keep leaning in to that ceremony? So I don't know if you want to finish the story, but. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was coming out of it. I came out of a very tumultuous, you could call it toxic relationship that I was in for three and a half years. Um, and he had been married prior to. And I'd been married. Yeah. And so years. in that relationship though, um, I entered into that relationship with a woman who just ended a 10 year relationship. And so it was like, oh my God, I've been here before. And that, and she was not ready to be in a relationship. And so her not being ready really caused a lot of damage and trauma in our relationship. And we never really recovered from it. So I was already traumatized. Uh, and so red flags were coming up, defense mechanisms were coming up. And so, you know, Asri invited me to trust, to sit in the ceremony. And we're literally leaving the next morning on a two week trip. And we just met two weeks ago. Not even. Not even. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I went in that ceremony and the medicine, we, we refer to ayahuasca as, as the medicine. Um, has played a, a, a big role in our relationship and in our lives. Uh, but it just showed me that our love was like pure. And I had a, a lot of times in the medicine space, um, what it does is gives you a felt experience. And so I felt the depth of our love in that, in that ceremony. And it felt like something I could trust and lean into. And so I came out of it was like, and I realized that it was just defensive. It was fear of feeling something um, but there was really nothing to fear because, you know, it's all beautiful. And so I came out of that ceremony and, um, yeah, the rest is history. You know, the medicine just showed me like, you know, th this is pure. You can trust it. Yeah. I think he came home at like 4am. We slept for two hours, packed, got in the, got in the car, drove to the airport and then had this two week Mexico experience. And that was we went through some profound portals there as well, well specifically we around us. for the whole three hours. We may not have. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that is an intense meet cute, you guys. That's like a meeting and then a couple of days later doing a medicine journey and then getting on an international flight together. Yeah, you're not fucking around. No, yeah, by, yeah. by the time we got back from that trip, two weeks later, we were planning our entire lives together. We, we knew we were going to write a book, which, which is now published. Uh, we were going to film a documentary. We were going to start a, a coaching program. We, we needed to buy land to, to host retreats, like all these things just within two. The, by the time we came back from that, we were planning our entire lives together. Yeah. And I, I, there's so many different ways to transform and to grow and to lean in. And I think it's significant that, you know, one of the things that we've talked about on this podcast is the limitations of talking and the limitations of something like talk therapy versus a medicine journey, right? Like you took that question and all of that 
fear that was happening. And when you say, you know, you said the word defenses, I think it's easy to kind of hang out there, (laughs) just kind of live our lives in that and convince ourselves like, well, I've been hurt before. It's logical. This person's not ready. Therefore, this isn't worth doing. This feels a lot like the last time, you know, it's easy to hang out there and you chose something else. You chose to go into a space that would show you some truth and help you connect to what's inside and what's true. And, you know, you mentioned that word trust. Um, I'm wondering, like, Azria, on your side, what was coming up for you around trusting life or guidance or whatever in terms of, you know, I'm 10 months out of this 10 year relationship. I thought I was going to taste the rainbow, but now this is what's, this is what's here. Yeah. I imagine it took some trust to lean in to that. Can you talk a little bit about your side? Cause you, you both took medicine that night and I'm imagining you also gained some, no, I actually, I actually didn't No, I did not sit. I felt that that was his, a solo journey for him. And really I invited him to go find his truth in that. And if his truth was for us not to continue, then I would have honored that. Um, I trust the medicine deeply. I've also worked with ayahuasca a lot already at that point. So I, I, I know that, you know, what that, what that can facilitate. Um, for me, the trust journey has been for sure, like cycles, I would say deepening into the relationship because I've been in long-term committed monogamous relationships, actually most of my life. And, but I'd never like when it came time, cause we moved very fast, as you can tell, like we're both pretty intense humans and we made radical decisions very quickly. And so there was this sort of unspoken, like we're building a life together now very quickly. And it was like all the dreams I'd ever had in terms of what I was trying to create in the world. And I was very, very focused on my mission of having impact through transformational work, coaching retreats. All of that was suddenly like manifesting at a very accelerated rate through our union because Benjamin's purpose was the same, but he brought pieces that I didn't have. And so we were just, like he said, these missing puzzle pieces. And so there was this extreme excitement and joy, of course, to be able to start to really create what I've always wanted to create with him by my side. But at the same time, it also demanded a deeper level of commitment for me every step along the way. So every step we took, you know, going deeper and deeper into, into the union, into the shared vision, more and more of my fears started to show up actually later on. Um, there was, there was like, again, soul curriculum or or pieces that came up for me that were very repressed subconscious things from my childhood that I had to start to work through. And actually what's interesting about the medicine and how it works is it doesn't always like in his case, it took him into this state of like full open-heartedness, seeing the possibility of what this love could be. And sometimes it does that. It gives you that lived reference point, but sometimes it does the opposite. Sometimes it takes you into the, like the abyss of your worst fears, like your, your deepest, darkest nightmares. And so I started having some of those types of ceremonies actually like a year into the relationship where I was seeing like the death and the destruction of our love, our whole life, like all falling apart and feeling very kind of traumatized by the, by that and, and really needing to do some very serious integration work to understand why that was coming up for me. And so we moved through several portals over the course of our union. Um, one of which was we were not on the same page about having kids. 
And that was another big like red flag in the beginning that we kind of like brushed aside because <laughs> the sex was so good. And we were like, fuck it. We're in love. We can conquer anything, you know? But then like a year later, here I am. And I'm like, shit, I think I might want to have a kid in, a, in the next few years. That wasn't really present for me when we met. And Benjamin was like a hard no. And I knew that from the beginning, he was very honest with me. Um, he'd gotten a vasectomy 15 years ago. He has two kids almost fully grown already. Like he was just a no. And so we went through what we call a death portal where we really had to like place the, the entire relationship and everything attached to it, our business, our, our mission, our community, and just like place it on the altar of life's intelligence and say, okay, if this is not meant to be, then we are, we are willing to let it go in service to truth. But that was really hard. Yeah. I mean, I had so many, like one of my questions is I would feel such vulnerability around my partnership also being my business and my mission because yeah, if one falls apart, so does the other. I mean, some people have made it work. Some people have dissolved a union and maintained a partnership, a business partnership. And, you know, it feels like in soul relationships, it's harder to do that. And so when you're saying the word portal, can you, can you break down a little bit of what that means uh, in, in another way? It sounds like a big conflict maybe, or how, how would other people describe that? Yeah. So um, it's kind of like, it's a portal in the sense that it's, it's like a, like a rip in the fabric of your normal day-to-day -day reality where all of a sudden something comes up in the relationship it, and death portals can occur outside of romantic relationships too. But generally it's, it's, it's when there's some aspect of you that needs to, that's ready to evolve, but your ego is resisting. So you're clinging to who you thought you were or what you thought you wanted. And so you go into this process. And in our case together, we went into this process where we were like this very visceral felt sense of like, the death of our love and our union had to be fully embraced and integrated. So we had to like, let ourselves go to that place and feel it fully so that we could free ourselves from anything that was not true. That was, that was also part of our dynamic, like attachments or expectations or ideas of what it should be, or like all of that had to like burn. It, it's yeah. It's like uh -huh. this alchemical thing that happens. So I, I we call it a death portal. Cause it's usually like it, that's how I feel it. Like a, like, like, like a period of time where you're in this state mm. and then on the other side, there's a rebirth. And so like on a practical level, is it, you know, you, you're both going into a medicine journey or is it like a series of conversations or what? So let's just take that one of the kids one. What did that actually look like? Well, I guess from my perspective, and you know, when we use the word death portal, it's um we often, I think, in in our society resist uh things we don't want to feel or resist. And so in order to really move through something, to transmute something, you have to actually do the opposite. You have to actually fully feel it. And so for me, it was like I we were in this place where it felt like our relationship was was over. Uh, I went away. I went to Arizona for a couple of weeks and I stayed at a, a buddy's branch. And um, I really just allowed myself to fully go there instead of being in resistance. I said, OK, let me feel this fully. And so I imagine what it would be like for our relationship to be over, for Azria to be with other men, for everything we had created, our business, our book that we were writing, all of it to just be over. 
And I really just sat in that for a moment and allowed that to be my truth so that I could actually let those feelings come up and come through and transmute them. And, and were you grieving through that? I mean, were you like crying? Were you, were you feeling yeah. the intensity of grief? I imagine it would be grief. Yeah. I was in fetal position. I was, I was like in a, in a dark, dark place. Um, but also, you know, entering it really consciously at the same time, uh, of like, I'm very aware of every step I was taking. And so I allowed myself to kind of move through that. And then I decided to, um, you know, I was like, okay, like it's going to be over. It's not over yet. And, uh, I'm just, we're just going to enjoy every day, every precious moment together and, and just trust that, that if, if it ends, I'm meant to learn something from that. And this is, this is curriculum for me. And, uh, you know, coincidentally, I sat, I, I decided to sit in another ayahuasca ceremony. And in that ceremony, I, I felt the spirit of a child, um, a baby boy. And it just like unleashed this love in me that was so profound. And I, I just came back from that and it was like beyond my preference. It just felt like this wants to come through me. And so the whole child conversation just completely like turned into from a hell no to a like, hell yes. Um, and so the medicine really allowed me to, to feel, um, that spirit and feel not even the, the spirit, because even if we don't have a child, um, I think just, it opened my heart in a, in a way that wasn't before. Yeah. And to answer the question, cause I think you were looking for like a very practical kind of how does, how does that begin? And the way it started was these fears that had been very repressed around wanting to have a child, knowing what that would mean if I were to like bring that forward coming up in me. And then for a while, me trying to just like work through them on my own journaling, meditating, like, like, no, no, it's, it's not a big deal. Right. It's not a big deal. Come on. And then after like a while being like, shit, it's not, it's not going away. And I'm now, if I don't share it, I'm being out of integrity because we share everything. So sitting him down and having the conversation and being like, listen, this is what's present for me. And knowing that that conversation was going to be like, so disorienting to him. And, and it was being, a risk, everything. It was a it was risky conversation. High, highly risky, highly risky. Um, but in service to, to truth ultimately. And uh, yeah, we've had several of those kinds of conversations over the course of our relationship where it's like, you know, it would be safer and easier and more comfortable to not say the thing, but yeah. it's not always the option. In fact, it's so never the enough. option. It's so, so brave though. I mean, that's so brave to actually speak the difficult truth that is present. It's the bravest thing we can do. I, I think as human beings, and there's kind of an offering in it of here's this thing I'm afraid to tell you because it's true. Yeah. And it might affect everything else. And it's so brave. And so many of us spend so much time and energy watching Netflix, playing video games, smoking weed, doing anything to not, <laughs> right? To not feel that. The discomfort of here's this truth and it needs to be spoken and it might change everything. It might risk everything and therefore I will avoid it. But what I really like about what you described in the, the, I'm going to call it the death portal process, yes. um, is, uh, there was conversation and there was connection between the two of you. And there was also 
you know, be when you went away to reflect, there was also your own process and your own, you finding your own center and your own truth that was separate from her. It wasn't, there's something really beautiful about that. I think of the infinity sign, right? It's like, we come together, we come apart, we come together, we come apart. And there's something, I think, healing about that. It's sort of like the opposite of codependence, right? It's like you need time together and you also need time apart. And part of that time apart, it sounds like for you, B was actually feeling that grief, like touching it and feeling it and holding it and being with it, actually being with it separate from her and another journey, another journey where you kind of touched a truth again, that was related to her, but separate from her. And I'm curious, has that been a part of most of your death portal journeys that there's a togetherness and then a separation and a coming back kind of thing? Well, the first thing I'd like to say is there's only been uh, two death portals. (laughs) Thank God. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think that, yeah, creating the space um, to kind of, we, we call it your truest truth to move beyond the intellectual knowing and really create the silence, right? Whether it's through meditation or going into a ceremony or whatever, but create the space for yourself to tap into that knowing that's beyond your intellectual knowing that's, that's kind of in your DNA uh, is, is very essential. And um, yeah. And so I think that that's, that's a critical component. And then also you said like when you go away and come back together, one thing I just, I think it's an important distinction is, is we were both clear that in this child conversation, there was no compromise. There was no, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do what you need me to do or want me to do to save this relationship or vice versa. Um, we were both coming at it from a perspective, like we weren't going to let the other person compromise. And so we either needed to meet each other in a new truth or accept that the relationship would end in heartbreak. And so uh, that didn't seem like that was on the table, right. That we can meet each other in a new truth. It like, and so the reason it, it, it was, it truly felt like our relationship was over. And it was like, how could this, this magical, powerful relationship, um, just comp- from one day to the next be over. Uh, so it was really hard to understand, but also we were in full acceptance of it and beyond acceptance. Like I, I, I told you, like, I went to a place where like, I wasn't trying to strategize on how to fix it or repair it. I was actually allowing myself to fully let it die within me. So I could feel that and feel what that felt like. Um, and then, and then, and then allow for the spaciousness for either of us to who knows what the new truth was going to be at that time. I had no clue. The last thing in the world I thought was going to happen is I was going to go into a ceremony, feel the spirit of a child and and come out of it. Um, and so we, we call it the choiceless choice. Like it wasn't a choice that we made. It just kind of happened. I like that. The choiceless choice. It's, it's interesting because that connection to something greater, it feels very related to partnership. And yet in our culture and in our society, it feels like there's still, there's tension there. You know, it's, it's, there's a, we sort of put partnership in this other box. Like it's not related to your relationship to God or your relationship to the divine. It's this thing over here when actually it's very related. (laughs) It's it's tied. It's, it's right there. And, and it feels very much like you both have had a practice of, of, I don't say the word communion, but of, of a relationship with something greater 
that you had cultivated before coming together and leaned on in your relationship. And that's part of what got you through two death portals. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's a foundational part of like, if you don't feel safe in life, if you don't feel safe in your relationship to the universe, it's going to probably be pretty challenging to feel safe in a relationship because it's, it's the macro and the micro, right? So doing that inner work and cultivating that relationship to whatever you want to call it, whether it's God or spirit or the universe or the intelligence of life, you know, whatever that is, that is bigger than us that we can all acknowledge um, is, yeah, is, has there, you can cultivate a relationship with that, that feels like it's, it's, it's supporting you. Like it's got your back. And even if everything falls apart and it all crashes and burns, like on the other side, there will be something even more beautiful that you cannot imagine. And that's why the subtitle of our book is everything you didn't know you wanted. Um, because it's becoming everything you didn't know you wanted is really this idea that like, there's so much that we can't see or know that's available to us, but what's in the way is what we think we know or what we think we want. And sometimes that has to crash and burn, but just like a forest fire comes through and, you know, creates destruction. It's also replenishing everything for, for greater life to happen on the other side. Yeah. I'm curious for the two of you, because I know I've been on my own journey around this. And I would say I did not believe in anything greater until I was 24. And even then it was sort of an intellectual belief first mm -hmm. before actually believing it on a molecular level. And it took me some medicine and, you know, other things to help me get there. Did you, did you sort of grow up with that each of you, or did you develop that over time? Cause I imagine there are some people listening that are like, yeah, yeah, that sounds great, but I don't want to believe in God and I'm not interested. Mm. I mean, for me, I spent most of my life, I guess I believed in, in say a God of some sort, but I was not spiritual and wasn't connected to something divine, the universe, spirit, whatever you want to call it. And for me, that connection really happened when I started working heavily, you know, significantly with ayahuasca, it just connected me to the planet, uh, to the universe in a way that I didn't know was possible. And I was just, uh, I just felt it. And ever since it's just changed, I went from not really caring about recycling or, you know, the planet or anything in that sense to, to being devoted to it now. Um, so that was my entry point into really spirituality in a big way. I understood it intellectually. I read all the personal development books and untethered soul and, you know, all that stuff, but I, I didn't really viscerally feel it until I started working with the medicine. Yeah. I actually, my mother was very much a spiritual seeker always. And because of that, I think I was, I had an aversion to all things spiritual. Like I thought people who meditated were kind of lame and I was like, oh, that's not me. I'm, I'm, I'm on a different, I'm on a different frequency. Like I, I don't really care about that stuff. Uh, so I really wasn't actively looking for it at all. And really for me, it was through going to Burning Man, some really profound experiences with mushrooms. Um, also really plant medicine was my, it was like, it, it activated a part of me that had always been there, but I had forgotten about or buried really deep inside of me. And so specifically my relationship to the natural world, like my, the plants and the animals, that those kingdoms, like there was a really profound relationship there when I was a kid but my empathy levels were so high and I was so sensitive to everything. Like I could feel everything so deeply that 
it was actually kind of traumatizing. Like if you think about it, you know, in, in this world where we chop down trees and we kill animals and do terrible things to them all day, every day, like there was a real, I had to shut that part of me down as a coping mechanism. And I really tried not to feel as deeply. That was a big part of my mission for a long time because I felt weak and I didn't know how to handle it. Now I understand that my empathy is this, is a gift and it's really a superpower and it's made me a, a great coach and facilitator because I can feel people deeply where they're at. But it took me a long time to integrate that as a gift. And so I think what the what the medicine work did was it just it just reminded me that that's always there and it allowed me to make that visceral connection to the natural world again. You know, I appreciate this the this part of the conversation because again, I I want to emphasize this and I've worked with some of my clients on it and it feels sometimes hard to to bridge that divide, but the, this relationship that the two of you have with life that each of you has with life itself and divine intelligence is part of what is supporting your relationship, your romantic relationship. There's a foundation under each of you that you have that's supporting both of you and the union. And I think that's what I've been trying to explain to to clients. And it's such a personal it's such a personal relationship, the relationship with life that it's sometimes like this needs to be in your life, right? There's a way it's like, this needs to be in your life. And it's so personal how you get there. I can support you a bit, but it's, I'm curious in, in your work with your own clients, individuals and groups, do, do most people coming to you kind of already have that? Or do you ever work with people where you're like, there's a thing that's missing in your life and it's this connection to, to something greater. And until you have a safe connection there, it's going to be really hard for you in a romantic relationship. Mm. Well, I think before I answer your question directly, I think that the the importance of having that connection is because it does make you feel safe. And how could you show up in a relationship and uh, be in trust and show up the way you need to if you don't feel safe, right? And so um, it's kind of a, a mandatory thing to have a really thriving, healthy relationship, I think, because otherwise, how could you really truly feel safe and held in the universe when you actually feel safe? And I'll tell you, I spent, you know, most of my entire life, um, feeling unsafe and actually having tremendous amount of anxiety and this connection of like, okay, like no matter what happens, I am cared for, I am protected, by this universe and whatever the unit, whatever happens to me, it's for me. I'm meant to learn something from this challenge, this, this situation, but the universe is benevolent, uh, is fundamental to be able to show up, um, in, in harmony with myself. And, and, and so I can show up in this relationship. I just want to emphasize how important that is. And then as far as our clients go, um, I think people are on all sides of that spectrum and, and, and I think that, you know, the, the work that we do, the deep medicine work that we do um, is often a bridge to connecting those two worlds. Yeah, for sure. The most reliable tool we found has been working with the medicine and it's part of our kind of dharmic path, you know, to, 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 to bring people into that space in a, in a safe and, and responsible way. But I think that there's a lot of ways that you can connect, you know, and when I think about what a spiritual experience was for me before I ever tried plant medicine or psychedelics, which I really don't believe are, is for everyone. Um, what were the transcendent experiences? And a lot of times there, there are these like in-between moments. They're like that moment with 
like I, I have this vivid memory of when I first adopted my dog and she was this tiny puppy. And this was like pre spiritual Azria. <laughs> this was me being an actress in Hollywood, like trying to make ends meet. But I, I adopted this tiny dog and she, I brought her home and she fell asleep on my kind of on my chest. And I remember just watching her breathe and my heart just cracked open. And I felt this insane amount of love for this tiny little creature. And the fact that she was even breathing was like a miracle to me. And so I think that we can find these moments of, of, of divinity really in, in very mundane places. It doesn't always have to be this extravagant life-changing peak experience. Um, But I think we have to be sensitive enough and aware enough and present enough with life to actually not miss them. Because the truth is that they're everywhere. Like, Every moment is actually a miracle if you're willing to see it with those eyes. And so I would say that what we do in our work and with our clients, like certainly I've worked with people who, who have lost that connection or seemingly lost it. Cause I don't think you can actually ever really lose it. I think it's innate for us, all of us, but we can forget, right. We can go deep into the forgetting. And, uh, and so sometimes having, a guide or a, you know, a teacher or even a YouTube channel with, a, with, with specific teachings that tap you into a frequency that somehow alters your normal day-to-day reality a little bit where like for me, it used to be Abraham Hicks. I would listen to Abraham Hicks and walk around my neighborhood and look at the trees. And, and I'd noticed this pretty dramatic state shift between when I left the house and when I came home. And so sometimes before you can kind of directly connect or have that personal relationship that you're talking about, having a little bit of a surrogate can be helpful, whether it's a plant medicine or a specific teacher you really resonate with. But just like any relationship, it requires presence, time, and attention to cultivate. So I think more time in stillness, more time in introspection, music can be a beautiful access point as well. Um, Yeah, there's many ways. Yeah, and I think that Benjamin, what you said about spending most of your life in anxiety and then coming to this, I think many of my clients would relate to that. And I, I agree. I strongly agree about this being basically a prerequisite to, to a truly healthy, strong, safe, grounded relationship, romantic relationship, because what I've witnessed in my clients is that if this isn't there, that's a breeding ground for codependence because it's like, Oh, I found a person I feel safe with. Now I have to stay with them because they're my safety. And so, um, I have to, you know, sacrifice myself or all the things that we do ways we contort ourselves to, to maintain a relationship because if I lose them, I lose that sense of safety and grounding. So this, this anchor that's supposed to be with life, we think is this person. And then it's like, well, shit, I have to do everything I can to preserve this relationship, which is essentially the opposite of what you said, Benjamin, which was, I really went to the place of, okay, what if it's not, what if I give this up? What if I grieve this? You you know, your body mind is only going to be able to do that. If you feel like you are held by something else too, that it's not your be all end all. Everything is riding on this run romantic relationship. So I love that you said that (laughs) you spent a long time because I think I work with a lot of men who are still there and that, that access point, you know, maybe we'll again, use the word portal, you know, to your point, Azria doesn't have to be medicine. It can be, I've worked with ayahuasca 
I didn't have a good experience. I've worked with psilocybin mushrooms. I had a great experience. I felt the thing. I touched the thing. I was, it worked for me. I've worked with MDMA that also really worked for me. So different people have different access points. It doesn't all have to be the same. Many men I know have been deeply served by ayahuasca. Many women I know have not. So everyone's different. Every system is different, which is part of the point of knowing yourself and trying different things. And a few others I wanted to mention were ecstatic dance. I've had transformative experiences at ecstatic dance of just, man, letting it all hang out because the music's loud. You can make noise. You know, you're moving your body. It's, it's, I've had state changes there. Breath work, holotropic breath work, other kinds of breath work have definitely been a portal for me of like, whoa, I touched, I felt, I felt that connection. I felt that, I felt the thing, <laughs> a better word in this yeah. moment, uh, network spinal analysis and other somatic therapies. And even EFT tapping has been a way, you know, a state change away. Um, and what I love about you two is it sounds like this is your jam, right? Holding people through this kind of process. And I'd love if we could sort of transition now to becoming uh, your your organization. I'm not sure how you say it, but your transformational platform, because it sounds like this is really what you do is you help people. I, I don't know if I would say invite in a relationship, but maybe develop a healthy relationship with life in these ways by addressing some of the things that are holding them back. Would you say that's accurate? And tell us about becoming. Yeah, I think that's, that's very accurate. I mean, it's really like, it's, it's less about adding something, right? There, there's, there's this whole self-improvement kind of concept of like, which implies that there's something broken that needs to be fixed. We really see it kind of the opposite. It's actually like, you're already whole, you're already complete. You're already absolutely divinely perfect, but there's many aspects of you that have forgotten that or are in resistance to that and have decided somewhere along the way that you are not worthy of receiving the magic of who you truly are. And so we do, we kind of help people unpeel the, the layers of those onions and get, get more and more connected to the truest essence of who they are, which is, uh, you know, a, a fractal of the divine, if you will. So it's certainly, it's, it's both, the work we do is both intellectual in, in that we help people build like a really in-depth operating system for their life, um, which is a very tangible tool that they walk away with after the, after they complete our program. But then on the, the sort of psycho-spiritual side, we do also, depending on who we're working with, with we will integrate plant medicine work um, and various other modalities and other teachers that, that come in and bring their gifts um, so that's kind of the transformational process side of what we do. We also just co-authored a book called Becoming Everything You Didn't Know You Wanted. And um, that book is really kind of a hybrid between memoir meets personal development meets erotic nonfiction. Like I've, I've, we've had people read it and be like, this is like Fifty Shades of Grey and Four Agreements and Untethered Soul all met, mushed together. Uh <laughs> So that was, we wanted to be honest and sexuality is a very big part of our relationship, of our life, of what is important to us, of our humanity, really. So, and of our spirituality too, the, the intersection between sex and spirituality, I think are very important. And, and there's a lot of deep work that we can do around that. Um, so yeah. And then I have a background in, in filmmaking. And when I met Benjamin, I was just saw like this beautiful opportunity to 
point a camera at him and start telling his story from highly successful, kind of closed off, very, you know, profit driven, like entrepreneur male to heart centered, you know, humble, purpose driven man. And that arc is such a powerful arc and such a beautiful arc. So we have a couple documentaries in the pipeline. George, George Clooney over here. <laughs> <laughs> he, this is a guy who's never done an Instagram video, completely private behind the scenes his whole life. And now here we go. Like, I'm like, all right, baby, ready for the, for the spotlight. Um, but it's been so miraculous to watch him just shed layer after layer after layer. And just, op- I mean, I think so much of the, the ailment that we experience in our day-to-day life and especially men is that our hearts are closed, really closed. And we don't even know it because we don't have an, we don't have a reference point of what it feels like to have an open heart. We don't, we, we can't even compare the two. So yeah, I think that's really ultimately at the core of what we, what we're doing and what our mission is, is to get people to open their hearts and feel the truest truth of who they really were designed to be. Well, it's also cool because it really feels complimentary, your partnership, you know, like what you just said, you have documentary skills, filmmaking skills, and you're, and you're using them for this. And I imagine that Benjamin, you bring in a lot of structure Mm -hmm. and a lot of uh, grounding. And, you know, you mentioned the tree. I really just felt the tree when you said that Azria. So the, the tree energy and then the butterflies around the tree, there's just, there's something so powerful about duality when it is in flow, Mm -hmm. that there are different parts we're both bringing and they're both creating something bigger than either of us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so where can people find you? And the book is out. Uh, tell me a little bit more also just about the platform part of, of becoming. Yeah. So you can find us at becoming spelled with a Q uh, dot me uh, on for website. And then the Instagram is becoming with a Q and you can find Azria and I just by our names, Benjamin uh, Becker, Azria Becker, uh, on all the platforms. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the process, we have a six month coaching program that it's a, we call it the becoming process and we've designed it for a couple different archetypes. So one is, is who I was five or 10 years ago. And the idea is, is we've taken everything we've learned and tried to condense it down. And so we could help people expedite their journey and their process. And so we, we've created a real in-depth container. It's got weekly curriculum, uh, every other week, zoom calls, Um, and there's exercises and visualizations and, and then for a select few people, there's also retreats that we do over that six month period of time, multiple retreats. And when you walk away from the process at the end, you literally walk away with a 200 page deck that you've created based on our framework. uh, That is a new operating system for your life. And we, we've done, we did it for basically who I was five or 10 years ago and who Azria, we have another kind of container, which is who she was five or 10 years ago. So one is for somebody like myself, who's been successful and looking for more fulfillment, wanting to live with more purpose, but doesn't really know what that looks like. Uh, And then someone in Azria's um, kind of archetype is somebody who's, you know, very heart centered, open, um, you know, kind of born wanting to have an impact in the world but doesn't really know how to bring that into a tangible form and like create in the 3D. Uh, and so that's a different container. And ideally, you know, when those two meet after they've done the work, there's a really powerful like synergy that can happen because taking people who've created a lot of material success with a lot of people, with people who have just love and open heartedness and then matching them also is, is beautiful. So we have 
after you graduate, um, you kind of enter the ecosystem and, um, and then there's all kinds of opportunities and we have a whole media arm. We'd like to do events and music things. And so, yeah, we have a, a full ecosystem. Yeah, we're, we're releasing the first kind of wave of our media content through, um, for, for those of you who feel, who want to go deeper with us, you can sign up to receive the three stages of becoming on our website. And um, we'll just send links to your inbox where you can start to actually watch some of what we call media as medicine. So we're sharing, we've, we've tried to, it's really tough to, you know, kind of summarize, like, this is what the journey of consciousness is for everyone. Um, Cause there's just no one size fits all, but we've certainly seen a lot of themes and patterns. And so we've, we've come up with these three stages of becoming and uh, each one of those has pers- our personal story, like woven into it. So the third stage is all about being in that frequency of just love and trust. And so we've, we've created a really beautiful wedding video that we have there that people can absorb the frequency of. And yeah, there's some, some magical things that, that are, that are available on our site. Cool. So yeah, as we start to wrap, um, I'm just going to ask each of you what you're most excited about right now in your life. <laughs> I uh, mean, everything we're creating, I think, right. Everything we're birthing. Yeah. I think somebody asked us recently, like, you know, if you die tomorrow, would you feel like fulfilled? And I would say for the first time in my life, I kind of feel that way because we're, we're literally at our, you know, operating at our max potential. There's no more left. We're, we're, we're putting it all out on the table every day and everything we're doing um, and all the relationships we're cultivating are just so fulfilling. Um, so we're just lit. We're super excited about all of it. The becoming platform we've been working on this for three years and we've been running our program, but, but now it's like we're promoting it out in the world in a way that we haven't before. And so it's been, you know, three years in the making and all of this, this 2022 is just a big launch of all the things, the documentaries, the book, the process is kind of going out there in a different format. Um, So we're super excited about all of it. Yeah. Awesome. I think we'll stop there. That was great. Hey guys, I mentioned my sex research a few times during this episode and just wanted to remind you that I actually have a streaming course available based on my sex research called Please Her in Bed, a course for men designed by women. You can find that on my website, melaniecurtain.com under courses. And if you use promo code DEARMEN, that's all one word, DEARMEN, you will get the course dropped from $97 to $69.